Well, this morning I had prepared a short message because I thought Pastor Ron Hoffman was going to be here, so I just extended the message. <laughs> so instead of Colossians 3, 1 through 4, we're going to be looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 17 this morning. And I've entitled the message, Be Heavenly Minded. Let me just ask for God's blessing on our time together now. Father, thank you for your word. It is glorious because your word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Father God, he is still glorious today. Help us, Father God, to hear from you today. Open our hearts and minds to receive from you and help us to keep our eyes set on Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are to set our eyes, our mind, our hearts, our lives on Christ. I know that you have heard the phrase, some people are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. I know you've heard that phrase, but I have never known anyone who fit that description. And I don't think there's too many people alive who are useless on this earth because they are focusing too much on heaven. It's much more likely that there are many people who are too earthly minded to be of any heavenly good. The most heavenly minded person who ever lived on this earth was Jesus Christ. And he did more good than anyone else who has ever lived. The reality is this, that the more heavenly minded we are, the more earthly good we will do. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were those who thought the most about the next. If we're having problems living as Christians, in this present world, it's not because our focus is too much on heaven, but because it is too little on heaven. So in our passage for today, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, Paul is commanding us to be heavenly minded, to set our minds on Christ and on the things above in order to live for Christ here on this earth. Paul shows us how our union with Christ leads us to a new way of living as we seek Christ and all that he has for us. Now, before we look at our text, let's review briefly what Paul has written in the first half of this letter about who Christ is and what Christ has done. So in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18, we read this. A description of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased 
to dwell. So who is he? He's God. He's creator. He's sustainer. He's the one who holds all things together. That's who he is. Paul goes on to describe what he's done. Verses 19 through 21. In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So, obviously, what Paul is describing here is the work of Jesus as our Redeemer. That he came, became a human being, lived a sinless life, the life that we could not live, and then gave that life as a sacrifice to redeem us, all who believe and trust in Him for our salvation, to redeem us from our sins. We were alienated from God. We were hostile towards God. We were doing evil deeds. But God, Jesus the Son, reconciled us to God and then in Colossians chapter 2 he continues to describe who this Jesus is and what he has done in verse 9 he writes this in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily the whole fullness of God dwelt bodily in Jesus and you've been filled with him who is the head of all rule and authority it's quite a description. Jesus is not only Savior, He's Lord. He's the head of all rule, all authority. He is God. And then starting in verse 11, what He has done. In Him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross." I don't know about you, but my list was long. The list of my sins that was credited to Jesus, the sinless one. And he paid the penalty for those sins by being nailed to the cross. This God has done. And in these descriptions, we see that Christ is glorious. Amen? He is glorious. He is glorious in who He is, and He is glorious in what He has done for you and for me. Christ is glorious. But you can only know this if you have been made alive together with Him. If you have been raised from the dead 
the death of our, of our sin, if you've been brought into newness of life, then you can perceive that Christ is glorious. And if that describes you, then how should you live? If you've been given this great understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done, and God has caused you to be born again to a new life in Christ, then how should we live? Well, that very question is answered in our text for today. Paul will tell us that our participation in the death and resurrection of Christ should result in a changed life. We will no longer be conformed to this world. Instead, we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we set our mind on the things above, as we set our minds on Christ and live accordingly. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of our text, at least a portion of it. I want to read Colossians verses 3, excuse me, Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Hallelujah. May God bless the reading of His word to us. You may be seated. Paul here is calling us to be heavenly minded. He's calling us to continually have a Christ-centered perspective. Paul begins by telling us who should do this. Who? All of those who have been raised with Christ, all of those who have been born again, who have been given new life in Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, this passage applies to all of us who have been spiritually resurrected with Christ. Those who were once spiritually dead, but have been made spiritually alive in Christ. I think Pastor Don and I are using the same Holy Spirit. Because my next passage to share with you was Ephesians 2.1, where Paul writes, as you heard, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once you once walked. How many of us does that describe? All of us. All of us at one time were dead spiritually. Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but God made us alive. Amen? Not only did He make us alive, but He placed us into His Son. So that Paul can say, in essence, we are already seated in Christ, in the heavenly places. That should change our perspective, shouldn't it? 
that should make us view the things of this world entirely differently. Because we recognize who we are in Christ. And so the who are all of us raised with Christ. We are, in essence, where he is, seated in heavenly places. What then should we do? What is the what, is the what here in this passage? We are to be heavenly minded. Paul gives us here two commands, seek and set. In verse 1, seek the things that are above where Christ is. And in verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. Paul uses the present imperative form of these two verbs, indicating to us that this is a command to follow and it's a continuous command, continuous action. This is an ongoing way for us to live. We could translate it literally in this way. Keep seeking the things that are above. Keep setting your mind on the things that are above. In other words, we're being commanded by God to continually seek after Christ, to continually set our mind on Christ and the things above, and not on the things that are on the earth. In other words, Paul is calling us to be heavenly-minded, not earthly-minded. We are to be preoccupied, if you will, with the eternal reality of who we are in Christ. We're to be preoccupied with the one who is seated in heaven. His purposes, his plans, his provisions, his power. We are made alive together with him. We are raised up with him. So we need to view our life and the world around us from that perspective. We find that perspective in his holy word. That is where these heavenly realities are revealed to us. Now, we have to freely admit that we are in need of mind renewal. Aren't we? That's because as we still live on planet earth, we are being bombarded daily. By false teachings, false philosophies, false ideas, or at least ideas that are contrary to what God says. So we are in need of mind renewal. That is how we develop a a heavenly, eternal perspective. That comes only from God's revelation to us in His Word. This matches exactly what Paul wrote to the Roman church in Romans 12.2. When he wrote these words, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Once again, both commands here in the Greek are in the present imperative, meaning they are commands and they need to be ongoing. So again, let me translate this more literally. It would say, do not continue to be conformed to this world, 
but continuously be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or be heavenly minded by continually seeking to know Christ, by continually setting your mind on things above, not things on the earth. So what does he call us to do to be heavenly minded, to be continuously focusing on the eternal realities that are ours in Christ? Our preoccupation with these heavenly realities will then give us a Christ-centered perspective as we live to glorify Him here on this earth in which we now live. Now in both of these passages, the Apostle Paul is encouraging us not to think as those who do not know Christ. Not to think as we once did when we were spiritually dead. Why? Why does he encourage us to do this? Well, look at verses 3 and 4 again. For you have died. Now, you look pretty much alive to me. So I don't think we need the CPR right now. But what Paul is referring to here is that we are to have died to our flesh, died to our sin, died to living our own lives for our own self. Right? Because we've been made alive in Christ. So we, have, we, we should be dead to our old life of sin, dead to our old ways, dead to the ways of the world. The past tense of the verb here indicates that our own death to self took place at the time of our salvation. And of course, Paul writes about this over and over again in his letters. One of those examples is 2 Corinthians 5.17, where Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And that should be the description of every individual, man, woman, boy, girl, who's trusted in Christ, who've been redeemed, who've been born again. We've been made alive in Christ, and we are to consider ourselves to be dead to our old manner of life. Consider ourselves to have been crucified with Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul describes himself in this way. When he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, in essence, my old self is dead. Crucified with Christ. So I no longer live for myself. I no longer live for the things of this world. I no longer set my mind on the things of earth. It is Christ who is now my focus. It is Christ who lives in me. I'm still alive in the flesh, but I'm not living according to the flesh, but by faith in the Son of God who set me free. 
So we are called to seek the things above where Christ is. We're called to set our minds on those things because we have died to this world and our life is now in heaven, hidden with Christ in God. Brothers and sisters, if this is true of you, then verse 4 applies. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you will also appear with him in glory. Every one of us looks forward to that day. Amen? When Christ appears, and as Pastor Don said, we shall see him face to face, and we shall be like him. How then should we live now as we're awaiting that glorious coming of Christ? Well, Paul goes on to call us to live a Christ-centered life. In these next few verses, to tell us how to live our new life in Christ while we're still on this earth in these mortal bodies, he will tell us that we need to put to death sin and we need to put on Christ. So he begins in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay? That which is the remnants of your old nature, your old life. Put those things to death. Once again, Paul gives us a present imperative command. So it's something we must continually be doing. You see, that's the the rub here. When I was born again... I was not yet glorified. So I'm still living in this sinful flesh. And so I must be continually putting to death my old nature. Must be continually putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Denying my flesh. The way we used to live before our lives were hidden with Christ. Putting sin to death is not optional for us. This is something we're called to be actively pursuing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do it by drawing on that heavenly perspective that we have in Christ. Remember, Paul here calls us to put these things to death. Not to simply weaken them. Not to simply reduce their frequency. Kill them! Turn from them. Look what, he, look what he says in verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Make no mistake, our God is a God of love. Amen? Amen? Our God is also a God of wrath. Amen? And those who do not turn from their wicked ways will face the judgment of God. But God made us alive together with Christ so that we could put to death the deeds of the flesh. Verse 7, In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, 
seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Lying is a part of our old nature, isn't it? Isn't it? Some of us are worse liars than others. Okay, Lying was definitely a part of my old nature. I was a liar. Okay? No, I'm serious about that. And I have to put that off today. Because those tendencies are still there in me. By the grace of God, 53 years of practicing, putting it off now, I've gotten pretty good at it. But it's still there. So we are to put off the old self with its practices and having put on the new self which is renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator here there is not Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave, free but Christ is all and in all in other words no matter your background no matter your family how you were raised your ethnicity where you were born where you grew up, it doesn't matter. It applies to all of us equally. Now, this list is not meant to be exhaustive of all sinful practices, but I think you get the picture. God says you must put away. You must stop practicing these things in any form. You must put them to death. God does not call us to moderation. In sinful ways. He calls us to elimination. Not moderation. Elimination. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are joined to Christ. With all the privileges that entails. Including eternal life. You are loved by Christ. You are indwelt by the spirit of Christ. You've put off the old self, and you've put on the new self. You've put on Christ, and that new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. That renewal takes place as we seek Christ and as we continue to set our minds on Him. When we have a heavenly perspective, we will not continue to tolerate sinful practices in our lives. Instead, we will seek to be like Christ. We will seek to be conformed into His image. We will seek to put on the character of Christ. And that's what he continues to tell us now in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. These are the things that we should be seeking after. These are the things that exemplify Christ and His life. 
We're to seek to put these things into practice every moment of every day of our lives. We're to strive to live a Christ-like life. But note this. We can only do this because of the power of Christ working in us. It is not me, but Christ in me. And Christ works, remember, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. This is exactly what Paul was referring to when he said, as I quoted earlier, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It is now living out a life that is pleasing and glorifying to our Lord. And we know how to do this because he has not left us in the darkness. He has given us his word. And Paul gives us here in verse 16 the key to living in this manner. Let me read verse 16 again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The source of our being able to live for Christ is Christ himself. We have a Christ-centered source. Make no mistake, God has given you and I all that we need in order to live for Christ. He gave us salvation in Christ. He gave us the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who indwells us and empowers us. And He has given us His Holy Word, the Word of Christ. His Word is His revelation to us of Himself and of how we should then live to please and glorify Him. And Paul here says, don't just read the word don't just hear the word but let the word of christ dwell within you dwell here means to live or to be at home in you yes we are to be daily partaking of the word we are to be hiding the word of god in our hearts that we might not sin against him we are to be allowing the word of god to renew our minds We are to live according to the word. To live a Christ-centered life is to live a life in accordance to the words of Christ. And we are blessed. We are blessed to have this. Amen? A few days ago, Patty and I went shopping at Costco, and we bought a bag of avocados. Okay, five avocados in a bag. You don't know this about me necessarily, but I love avocados, okay? I mean, I was raised eating avocado, okay? And as we were eating this, I mean, it was perfect, perfectly ripe, large, you know, just delicious avocado. I was struck by the fact that there are billions of people on this planet that have never tasted an avocado. No, I'm serious. No, there's billions of people on the planet that have never tasted an avocado. 
you know? How, how blessed are we at what God has made available to us? Well, this is what he has made available to us that is the greatest blessing of all. And there are billions of people on the planet that have never read the word of God. That don't even have it available to them. Don't take this for granted. This is God's revelation of himself to you and to me. And we are blessed to have it. But we need to let it dwell within us. We don't just read a passage, check the box. Read a chapter, check the box. Let's receive from God what he is saying to us. And let us then put it into effect in our lives and live in accordance to it. And then Paul mentions the specific results of the word of God dwelling richly in us. He says it will equip us to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Interesting there, it doesn't say that it will equip pastors and elders to teach and admonish, right? It's for every one of us. Do you know that Christ calls you to be a teacher of his word? He calls you to build up one another. He calls you to be ministers of his grace. That's right. It will equip us to be teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It will also cause us to worship God. It'll fill our hearts with a desire to worship, resulting in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And it will also produce in us thankfulness. Amen? Thankfulness in our hearts to God. And this will be evident then in our lives as we allow God's word to dwell in our hearts and our minds. And in verse 17, Paul sums up what it means to keep our eyes upon Christ. Look at verse 17 with me. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wow. Everything. Think about that for just a minute. Everything in word, everything in deed. As I reflect on that, I think about the things that we do throughout the day. How we relate to others. How we relate to our families. How we relate to our employers. How we relate to other employees. Right? Everything. Everything we say. Everything we do. We're to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, in a manner that pleases and glorifies Him. As if we are the representative of Christ on the earth. And we are. That's exactly what Paul is saying to the church. You are called to represent Christ. You are called to live a Christ-centered life. That is to be your perspective. 
Do we do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we do all that we do focused upon Christ, living according to the new life, His life that He has given us, according to the Word of Christ, according to the power of the Spirit of Christ? No. Not perfectly. But as Pastor Don mentioned, are we growing in this? Is this process of sanctification in our lives working more and more towards that goal? And I pray that your answer is yes. As I mentioned earlier, I've been saved now for 53 years, actually next month. will be 53 years, so I'm just shy. Am I the same man today that I was 52 years ago? No, not in the least. Because even though I was saved, I had a lot to learn about Christ and about living for Christ. I don't mind telling you that. I was still a terrible sinner even after being born again. Because it's a process of becoming more and more like Christ, becoming further and further conformed to the image of Christ. And part of the delay in my process was not knowing the Word of God and not having anyone to teach me the Word of God. I was the first one saved in my family. And the church that we attended was not big on teaching the Word. Certainly not expositional preaching. And so it took years for me to learn some of the things that I learned. We have God's revelation. We have it. Avail yourself of it. Don't take 53 years to get to where I am today. It could have been much faster. And remember, Christ is the source. It is His life, His death, His resurrection, His spirit, His word, His love, His grace, His mercy, and His power working in us that enables us to live our lives not for ourselves, but for Him. Therefore, as we live out our lives in this manner, we continually give thanks to Him. Amen? We give thanks to our Heavenly Father for choosing us. We give thanks to our Lord Jesus Christ for saving us. We give thanks to the Holy Spirit for causing us to be born again and indwelling us and helping us to put to death the deeds of the flesh and to live our lives now to please and glorify our Heavenly Father. And we continually give thanks. Hallelujah. What a glorious Savior we have. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to spend time together today worshiping you, praising you, praying to you, and receiving from you grace, mercy, love, and your holy word. 
Father, I pray that your word would continue the work that you've begun in us. Continue that work of conforming us further and further and further into the image of Christ. And Father, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. To be heavenly minded. Not focused on the things of this earth. So many of which are distractions. So many of which are actually Satan's tools to distract us from what is most precious. And that is you. You, Lord Jesus Christ. You are to be what is precious. And your word is precious. And your grace is precious. Help us, Father God, to focus on these things and to focus on the eternity that awaits us when Jesus returns. And for these things, we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.